Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who, who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. How old, I, this is, I just, how old were you when Lost was on TV? Like pretty young, late elementary school, okay? I am officially ancient years old. And, um, but you guys are familiar with, there was a show called Lost, right? I believe it was on Netflix for a season. And, um, and it was a show about people that, that uh, crashed in a plane on a desert island, right? And it got super weird. I didn't watch Lost because I only watch cool TV. Um, but my wife watched Lost. And you can fill in the gaps about the kind of TV she watches. And um, <clears throat> part of the reason I didn't watch Lost was because my wife and other people told me that um, it just, at some point, didn't make sense anymore. Like, there was all these characters that would come on the show, and then they would just sort of disappear, and they no longer had any storyline. Or that there were these plot lines that started out, and they seemed interesting, and then they just never got picked up again. And the, a friend of mine told me that the reason why is that when the show Lost was originally made in the first season, um, there was no thought that the show would be successful at all, right? And, you know, during the first season, it blew up and became this huge hit, and there was no end game for the show from the beginning, okay? So most shows, like, you have, like, the writers have a loose sense of this is where we want the characters in the story to end up by the end at some point. And it lo with Lost, they just go, now we have this show and all these characters, we have no idea what to do with it. And so they didn't come up with an ending to the show to somewhere between season two and season three. And if, apparently if you watch Lost, that makes sense. Um, if you don't know where you are going to end up, um, things are very hard and confusing along the way. And if you don't know where your story is, is going to end up of your life, then all the various characters and plot lines of your life will not really make a lot of sense to you. It's necessarily confusing if you don't know where your story is going to land. And so what we're going to do the next couple of weeks in RUF is look at the last three chapters of Revelation because they are all about what happens at the end of the world. 
Like, how does the story end? Uh, a lot of people think that the whole book of Revelation is about, like, the end of the world, and it's, it's not. It's about the whole time between when Jesus came the first time and when Jesus is coming back again, which is hopefully it will be soon. Um, but these last three weeks, we're going to be talking about the end. What happens at the end of the world? What basically is your destiny? What is the destiny of the world that we live in? And what I hope is going to happen, my prayer for this time, is that by seeing what happens at the end, you are able to make sense of the minute details of your day-to-day life because you know where your story is going to end up. Okay? So what I want to do tonight is, is, is ask, where are you going? Where are you going? Um, what is your destiny? And the passages that we're looking at tonight say that if you trust Jesus by faith, if you have said yes to Jesus, you are going to end up at your wedding, which is very exciting for many people and very terrifying for, for others of you. Um, the passage says to us, and actually throughout the Bible, God shows us that the way that God relates to his people is as a husband and his people are his bride. And look, look in the passage, look in the, the first second of the passage there in verse 7. And eight, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Um, We are going to a wedding party. Now, uh, weddings and the way that engagement worked back in the ancient Near East is is different than things work today. There doesn't really actually seem to be any sort of standard for how things should go these days. Should you ask the parents or not? Should you, like, get engaged right away and then, like, be engaged for, like, 17 years and just deal with that crap? Because um, being engaged is the worst. I say, this is just, this is me, not the Lord. Uh, being single is fine. Being married is, is cool. Dating is the worst. And engagement is, like, the double worst to dating. Yeah, because it's like you have, you're like, have to be all in on dating, but you don't get any of the like, reciprocal benefits of being married. Um, but back in the day, uh, engagement and marriage worked a little bit different. This is how it would work. A man who decided that he was in love with a woman and wanted to marry her would go down from his father's house. Right, He would leave his father's house, and he would go down to this woman's house. And he would find this woman and her father... And back in the day, to show that you were, you were fully committed to this woman and her, her well-being, and since she was so valuable to her family and they didn't want to just let her go, the man would come and he would pay a bride price for her. He would pay her father money, not to purchase her, but because she's a very valuable asset to their family and showing that he's committed to her. He would give, her, give the family this bride price, and they would become engaged, or the word would be betrothed. Um, but if you like to watch The Office, one of my favorite scenes on The Office is when Jim is really struggling because he's in love with Pam, but she's engaged to, what was the guy's name that she was engaged to? Roy. Roy. So you've seen The Office. Um, <laughs> she's engaged to Roy, and he's talking to Michael. Do you remember on this one episode? And he's like, but, but he's pouring out his, his heart to Michael. And he says, but she's engaged. Remember, Michael says, BFD, right? Engaged ain't married. Um, I have given that piece of advice many times in, in, in my life. Um, but back in the ancient Near East culture that Jesus lived in, that's not how it worked. When you got engaged to somebody, you were legally married to them. So this makes sense. If you've ever read like the, like the baby Jesus stories, 
And um, Mary says, it says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph, like she was engaged to him, right? But they, they had not consummated their marriage. They, they hadn't had their marriage celebration. They were just engaged. But then notice later it says that he made up in his heart, because he was a good man, to divorce her quietly. Isn't that weird? Because they weren't married. They were just engaged. But back in this culture, if you were engaged and you wanted to break off that engagement, you literally had to get divorced. It was fully binding. All of the promises and the commitment of marriage are already there in the engagement. Uh, So then what the groom would do is he would leave this woman's house and he would go back to his house for a while, like up to a year. And what he would do is he would go back to his father's house and he would... um, get things ready for his new life with his bride, right? That he would literally get a room ready or a small house ready for them. He would take part of his father's business and begin to work it up for them. He would get a life together so they would be apart for a season. And when he was ready, he would put on his wedding garments and he would go back to the woman's house many months later, maybe a year later. And a lot of times they would come at night. He would come at night and they would hear the bridegroom coming. And the bride would be, it would be sort of a surprise, but she'd be already in her, um, her attire and her beautiful clothing. And all of her bridesmaids would come out with her and they would carry lamps. And they would call it, the bridegroom is here, the bridegroom is here, and they would all celebrate. And he would come and literally take this woman, this, his wife, and go back to their new home and there would be a huge celebration. I mean, it was, you know, slaughtering the fattened calf, it would last a week or more of just pure partying for a week. And they would finally come together as a husband and a wife. Okay, that's how it worked back in the ancient Near East. And here's what God is saying in this passage about how he relates to you. Um, When God set his eyes on people, the crown jewel of his creation, God created everything and he created people, and people are the center point of his creation. He just could not imagine life without his people, without you and without me. And so for him, there was no distance that was too far for him to come down to get his bride, to get his people. And there was no price that was too high, no bride price that would be too high to pay to have his love come and live with him forever. Even if that woman was so entangled in sin, the debt of sin, And and, and the the wages of sin being death, even if she was entangled that much and he had to pay with his own blood, he was willing to pay that bride price for his love. That's what God's telling us in this passage. Now, the other day, uh, Derek and uh, my uh, intern and I went up and we did a beautiful thing. We went up to uh, Strawberry Hill, which is an overlook over by the farmer's market next to where I live. And there's a huge oak tree up there and there's like a 30 foot high branch. And Derek and I put up a baller rope swing up there. And uh, it was amazing. And it was special because it was the rope swing from our old house. And we took it and we moved it there for, for, like, for my kids and for whoever. This like, random dude was like running. And he's like, oh, is that a swing? Can I use it? And we like, watched him. It was beautiful. It was a great moment. Um, <laughs> it was one of those things where it's like, we didn't smoke a bunch of weed, but it felt like we smoked a bunch of weed. And... Um, <clears throat> Because I felt like this is what we would be doing on a Friday morning. Anyway, um, so I took my daughters up there yesterday, uh, Georgia, who's five, and Bonnie, who's four. And we went up to swing on the swing. But when we got there, the man had cut the swing down. Um, Seriously. Um, They got as high as they could on the ropes and and, and cut the swing off. And I literally held my five-year-old daughter as she, like, 
openly wept over this um, swing. And what she kept saying over and over again was, it was so special. (laughs) And now it's gone. And we have to find it. Where is it? Where could it be? Let's go look in the trash cans. It was so special and now it's gone. And that's a, that's, a, that's a funny and acute example. But to Jesus, his people, you, were so special that he could not allow you to be taken away from him. And there was no price that, that was too high, no distance that was too far to come and get you. And, and a hymn writer writes about this in a hymn where he says, From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Jesus paid this ransom of his blood because he wanted to be with you. And my question for you tonight, and if we ever get coffee or lunch, I'll probably ask you this question, and nobody ever knows how to answer it, which is why I keep asking. Um, what does God think about you? Like, how does God feel about you tonight? What is his opinion of you? Take a second and formulate an answer for yourself. What does God think about you? Is it something like he's basically okay with me, I think? Or is it something like he's pretty disappointed, but I'm not sure I'm like really on his radar that much. Um, When I read the Bible, I just can't find God ever being like, meh, about people. (laughs) Like, you are either literally an enemy of God, or you are God's deep and abiding joy. Like, his beloved, that he wants nothing more than to be with. Um, one, of, one of the great things about my job is I get to do weddings. And um, I've seen some of you have been brides that I've seen and grooms. And some of you, I will do your wedding. Some of you, you don't even dating right now. And I'm going to officiate your wedding. It's going to be beautiful. And, um, <laughs> but over the summer, I officiated a wedding for Tim and Anna Kynas, who graduated last year. And uh, they're sweet people. Uh, and their, their relationship is so sweet, partly because they've been friends for so long. And so it was just this beautiful um, moment. And the great thing about officiating a wedding is you're in the front. And so you had this amazing view of, like, the groom and the bride, right? Like, as, like, when the doors open, you can see the groom and the bride at the same time, right? So the doors open. It was, like, 100 degrees in this church that we were in. And um, the, the doors open, and Anna was there, and she was radiant and, and beautiful. And, you know, Anna, you expect that. And um, but what was amazing was that, like, as the doors opened and, and his bride was revealed in all of her splendor and glory... You know, Tim was just, his eyes were just full of of tears um, because he was so joyful. It was such a moment that had been anticipated for him for for years that was finally coming to be. And just seeing this woman um, was overwhelming to him and I think overwhelming to everyone that was around him. And no matter how you feel about yourself tonight, and no matter what you think about yourself tonight, If you have simply said yes to Jesus, he sees you through those joyful, tear-filled eyes as you are revealed to him. Like he is smiling broadly and nothing is giving him a greater joy than seeing you presented 
as his bride. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. But here's the rub for us. Um, it's not your wedding day yet. And I think everyone's like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, I'm into that. Um, but it's not happening yet. Jesus even says in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. In my father's house are many rooms. Listen to the marriage language. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Right now, if you know Jesus, you're living in this period between he's come to, down to, to save you and to betroth himself to you. And now he's at his father's house getting a place ready for you. But your wedding day has not yet come. And so the question for us is, how do you live now, if you know Jesus, in the betrothal period? How, it's hard enough to be engaged to just like another regular person. How do you go about being engaged with Jesus? And the two words that I want for us here are faithfulness and adornment. Okay, Faithfulness and adornment. Um, faithfulness. Revelation is full of language about enduring and persevering and staying faithful. Remember, this letter was written to Christian people that were literally being tortured and executed for being Christians in the first century. Okay, In Rome, um, under certain emperors, if you didn't take a pinch of incense and throw it on the fire and say, Caesar is Lord, then you were considered an atheist and you were killed. They would line their roadsides with hundreds of crucifixes and crucify Christians. And that's what they're living in. And John is writing to them and saying, really the question for them is, is it worth it to stay committed to Jesus? And probably you guys feel that tension um, in the dorm, out on Thursday night, at what used to be Klondike and is now apparently all going to be taproom. Um, is this Jesus thing worth it? And John is reminding them and us, look, you are married to Jesus now. The promises are all now. Jesus has already committed himself to you and promised to give you his total intimacy. That is your present reality. So stay faithful. Um, stay true to him. Now I'll tell you, we don't usually like faithfulness. What we like is fences. Okay, I enjoy fences much more than I enjoy faithfulness. What I mean by that is, we will take something like um, partying or drinking or hooking up or even something without the social stigma, something like career advancement or like resume building or political involvement. And we will say, what is the fence for me? How far can I go with this thing and still be like within the realm of acceptable, like I'm a Christian person, right? We want to find the boundary and then go, okay, that's the boundary. Now, if I just take like two to three steps back from the fence, we're good, right? And I don't have to feel weird. And the people on the other side of the fence are like, you know, a mess. But I'm good because I'm not past the fence, right? Um, but if you're not just the member of a religious group, but in fact are married to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's obviously the wrong question. Because you would never ask if you were married, hopefully, how far can I go with this thing and still be, like, technically married? Um, like, how angry can I get 
before my wife or husband just leaves me? Like, what's that point? Because I just want to bring my anger back, like, a step from that and live within that. Um, like, how many hours can I work before it just completely destroys my relationship? Because then I'm going to work about three less hours than that per week. We would never ask that question in the marriage. Actually, you will ask those questions many times in your, in your marriage, and then you'll have to repent and stop doing that. But when you are married to your love, the real questions are more like, what can I do that she loves? Being faithful sounds like, does my love love this thing that I'm doing? Um, will this thing deepen our love and affection for one, one another and give us greater capacity for love? If so, then you dive into that thing completely. And if not, then you throw it away and you never look back because you are married. You're in a love relationship with somebody. Instead of looking for offense, you're looking for how to love that person. Uh, my wife eats vegetables, fruit, lean meats, and some simple grains. Okay, that's how my wife rolls on food. That's what she eats. She has a, a GI disease. And uh, it's pretty like normal for her. And she's like, I'm eating the foods that like promote health for me and help me like live and be a healthy person. She's not, she's not like, I'm avoiding these foods. She's just saying, these are the foods I eat. But my mother-in-law like struggles to understand how she views food. So she'll go, so you're on a sugar-free, gluten-free diet. So when you come, I'm going to buy a sugar-free, gluten-free cake mix to make a cake. And my wife's like, no, I, I don't eat cake. Like, I, I eat vegetables, fruit, lean meats, and, and some grains. Like, that's, that's what I eat. Because for my wife, she is cultivating health. She's not avoiding unhealth. Does that, does that make sense? So my question for you is, what would it look like to you to make a shift from seeking out and avoiding fences and instead live in loving faithfulness to a God who has first loved you. To start from love instead of starting from finding the limit. Faithfulness. And the second is adornment. Look at, look in that verse 8 there at the, at the, on your first page. It was granted to her. The bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And then later on in, in, in verse 11, it says that she has the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. God's bride, God's people are beautiful to him. They, they shine and they're radiant. And the thing that she is wearing that is so beautiful, the passage says, is the righteous deeds of the saints. And here's what that means. As you wait for Jesus to come back, you get to surround yourself in beauty and goodness and truth and make yourself even more beautiful for him. Paul puts it like this. I'm going to read a passage from Colossians. Just roll with me through it and think about you are a bride preparing yourself for your, for your husband who loves you to come. And you are changing your clothes. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have, listened, put off the old self 
with its practices and have put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Or he put on the new self, excuse me, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You've put off these old clothes and now you're putting on something new because Jesus has chosen you. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul is saying, these things that you were wearing are not you anymore. Put on gentleness, meekness, humility, and love. Because Jesus wants you to surround yourself with beauty. I hear people complain all the time when their friend starts dating somebody, um, that they just aren't themselves anymore. I mean, this is literally every person that starts dating. Their friend is like, they're just, I'm worried about them. (laughs) Can we meet and talk? Because before we were playing like Madden like eight days a week. (laughs) And now we're only playing Madden on Monday, Tuesdays, and Fridays from 2 to 8 p.m. Um... Now, clearly, someone who starts a relationship should not change themselves in order to make themselves likable to this person. If they did that, a friend would, like, would rightly stand in and say, that's not good. Okay? Someone just said yes. That was like the first amen I've ever gotten for you. Um, but usually people are upset because their friend doesn't want to hang out with them as much anymore. Okay? Like, this is called what it is. Um, or they aren't, aren't always available when their friend needs to talk anymore. Like, I need you right now. It's like, I'm with my boyfriend. Sorry. Um, why? Is the question. Because they have another love, man. Like, they've fallen in love with somebody. And guess what? That means that, like, their rhythms of life and their priorities just aren't Madden anymore. Um, they aren't, like, just being available for you at 3 a.m. anymore. Because they have a breakfast date. With their side piece, okay? Like, that's what... <clears throat> I wish I hadn't said side piece. Of, <laughs> of course they don't do all the same things they used to do. Of course. This is my conversation with you. I'm like, of, of course. You literally aren't as important to them right now as you used to be before they had this love. Because love reorients your priorities. And a simple question for you as we bring this down. What would change if you believe that following Jesus and putting on righteousness and godliness and pursuing him with everything that you have was not a buzzkill to your life or a burden to your life or the thing that's keeping you from having cool friends, but is actually an opportunity to get yourself ready to be with Jesus? And it makes you beautiful. Like the passage says, it was granted to her to clothe herself. Like the the Bible goes all over itself to say like, hey, there's good deeds for you to do that God has already prepared them. They're out there. It's a work of God's grace. But like, I know all these things about being with Jesus in heaven and all that stuff don't always seem very real. But my question for you is this. Have you even tried putting on the dress? Like, have you even... If Jesus says, here's all this beautiful stuff, I want you to have it. Have you even tried it? Um, almost, if you talk to a bride, there's been several brides in the room. 
when, when the bride is having doubts, a bride always does two things. When she's having doubts, she goes and spends time with her fiance to remind her why she's going through all this pain. Um, and she goes in and she, she tries on her dress by herself and she puts it on so that she can see what it's going to be like for her on her wedding day. And have you tried putting off anger and jealousy and self-gratification and tried putting on kindness, patience, and forgiveness? Like, have you tried? Um, Not to make Jesus love you, but because Jesus loves you and wants you to be beautiful. Can you see, like, the joyful tears in his eyes um, because of the beautiful garment that you were wearing when you come to him? Look, this is the point of all this. God wants to give you the desire of your heart. But God is going to make Jesus the desire of your heart and then give you Jesus. Um, Because he's the only thing that's worth having as the, the desire of our heart. And he wants to make you beautiful. So stay faithful to him. Adorn yourself with beauty. And if this is tugging at you in some way and you're just not sure what to do with this, I want to leave with the last passage, the last verse on your sheet. From the very end of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. You are invited into a marriage feast with the living God, invited to say yes. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much um, that you see us as being beautiful which does not even compute with me most of the time and doesn't compute with most of us most of the time. But we thank you that you tell us that we're beautiful enough to come down from your Father's house and to pay any price to take us to be with you. Um, Would you help that to tug on us? Would you help us not just to know that that is sweet, but to taste that that is sweet? Um, Would you help us to stay faithful to you for the first time? or for in a new way and help us to adorn ourselves with righteousness we pray in Jesus name amen